0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and unfortunately, we need to talk a lot about injuries this week. Before we get underway, just a reminder you can find us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so be sure to follow us as well. You can find us this year on iTunes, so we'd love it if you subscribe, download it, leave some reviews. We'd love any feedback. And you can find us this year also on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter at Sports, and for their NBA content at FanRagNBA. Zach Harper, formerly of CBS Sports, is writing for us through the end of the year. He's been writing some great stuff, you know, about the trade deadline, All-Star break, now he's focusing back on actual basketball, so check out FanRag for all of Zach Harper's content and some other great stuff too. Joining me this week, as always, are Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two?
2: There's actual basketball going on? (laughs)
0: styles excludes in-store clearance
1: it's wonderful sarah must be happy Kawhi just cemented his mvp case the other day against paul george
3: <laughs> i love me some Kawhi. i tell yeah. you what that the building the other night when they were chanting mvp that is the loudest i've heard it especially for a regular season game in a long time wow that was it was like shaking.
1: Very good. Well, we're not going to get into another MVP fight this week, but Mm. Lord knows we've got another one coming soon enough. Uh, This week, unfortunately, uh, injuries were the big story in the NBA. We're going to start with the biggest one, Kevin Durant. He hyperextended his left knee Tuesday against the Wizards only about two minutes into the game. Uh, he was quickly ruled out for the rest of the game. There were reports afterward that said the wizard's locker room was like a playoff atmosphere and super morose, uh, which seemingly implied that Durant would be out possibly for the rest of the year. Uh, on Wednesday, the wizard the, sorry the Warriors announced that he has a grade 2 MCL sprain and a tibial bone bruise. so he will be out for at least the next four weeks and then he will be reevaluated at that point. Sarah, I'm going to turn this to you, because this seemingly opens the door for your Spurs to make some moves. How do you think this changes the Western Conference playoff picture, and do you think the Warriors can keep their hold on the number one seed?
3: Hmm. I mean, obviously, we're all still going to say they're the favorite. They will be the favorite until, unless and until they get knocked out. That's, you know, just the way it is, not not down 3-1, not down 3-9, just out. But as for the Spurs, I mean, it makes it more interesting, you know. Um, I had pretty much resigned myself to the fact that the Spurs were not going to get that number one seed. But the last two years as a Spurs fan, it has been a source of pride that, you know, as, as breakneck as the Warriors have been, and their winning pace, it's the Spurs have kind of been close enough that the Warriors couldn't, you know, rest a bunch of games at the end. Um, so I I just was enjoying that. Now mm-hmm. they have a legitimate chance. Uh, I still favor the Warriors to keep the number one seed. But, I mean, it's truly interesting. Uh, it, the Spurs are only back two in the loss column right now, and they play the Warriors twice at home this month without KD. And the dubs are really... Floundering a little bit i mean they've hit a collective shooting slump which is really strange <laughs> right for them. it's like the regression to the mean that we we're waiting for all last year is trying to correct itself right now so it's really <laughs> right. really strange it never happened the whole last year um i don't know it's it's gonna be an interesting way i'm just enjoying the fact that yeah it's finally a question a little bit you know because for about two years two and a half years it hasn't been
1: right yeah, I mean, uh, all three of us, I would say, had Golden State penciled in as the finals representative of the West the entire season. Now, you're, I mean, I think you're totally right, Sarah. It's it, it's still tough not to favor them, assuming KD is backed by the playoffs, you know, if they get a first round matchup. As long as they keep that number one seed, they should be able to survive a first round matchup even without KD, If the, you know, if he's out longer than expected, but Come second round, that's where it gets interesting. So Mort, I'm going to turn this to you because your, your TNT Bulls were the ones who sent the Warriors <laughs> to their first back-to-back regular season the last two years last night. Uh, what do you think about the Warriors? What Did you, did you see uh, anything from last night's game in particular that concerns you uh, with Durant out? And do you think they are the favorite out West still?
2: Well, I, I just think the rhythm is kind of off and that's basically it. I think a lot of people are making a big do about nothing. It's mm. still Stephen Curry, it's still Clay Thompson, still Draymond Green, and it's still Steve Kerr on the on the sidelines. They might not be as good as they were over the first what, sixty games, obviously, because when you lose a Kevin Durant, a team's gonna hurt. But their their baseline is so high, it's it's almost ridiculous to like paint a bleak image of their future even their immediate future (laughs) now as for san antonio whether they can wrap up number one i mean i'm gonna leave that open-ended because they're right there they're Mm -hmm. right there as usual everyone's sleeping on them i mean (laughs) and you know this is why i I know you didn't want to go into the mvp talk but this is why duran or sorry (laughs) kawaii is the mvp because like who does he have around him? And they're right there compared to like what Curry has around him and Katie and whatever. Mm-hmm. So no, I, am not really that concerned. Their shooting slumps, Curry's and, and Clay's. They usually work itself out. And I'm, I'm really not at all nervous if I'm golden state at all.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, Sarah, as you said, it does seem like it's a collective regression to the mean, you know, Curry, <laughs> what he's hit like two of his last, 30 shots from deep or something like that. uh, You've got to figure at some point he's going to snap out of that. You know, I I will say this. if Again, if the Warriors get the number one seed, I think they could beat Denver or whoever, you know, comes out. Dallas, New Orleans, Minnesota, Sacramento. (laughs) Probably not Sacramento. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, But if they're the number two seed and they play OKC, I'm not going to say OKC definitely beats them. But that becomes more interesting, because especially OKC now with Taj Gibson and Doug McDermott, they're a little friskier than they were prior to the trade deadline. And, like, Russ has the blood feud going on with the Warriors, so you know he's going to try to put up 50 every night. Uh, they the, Warrior, or the Thunder have, you know, Adams, Gibson, and Cantor. That's a lot of size. For the Warriors to combat. And we've always, you know, there's been the talk for two years. Like, do the Warriors have the big man depth? And then they inevitably do. But that's an advantage, at least. It might not outweigh, you know, the Warriors still having Steph and Clay, But it's at least something that could throw a wrench in the Warriors' plans of, like, cruising through the Western Conference playoffs. So, for that reason, I really think it's imperative for the Warriors to get that number one seed that way they don't have to rush KD back necessarily um, because I think the difference between the number 7 and number 8 seed matchup is going to be gargantuan especially for a team that's not at full strength
3: yeah, that's, that's really the more interesting part for me even than the seeding which is still open um, is that there's just going to be that little bit more of a grind now on these guys that have gone to the finals two years in a row so and every every little bit adds up, you don't know kind of toll that's gonna to take, and then how Katie's gonna feel when he does come back the um the partially torn grade two m c l is is the same thing that I suffered in my aforementioned kayaking incident, oh yeah <laughs> and uh i don't I don't know that I had a bone bruise, I don't know, but uh I could say that it was a few years ago, but I don't think I would have been able to play n b a basketball after a month, but sure. I didn't have NBA doctors either, so... Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> who knows? I'm sure I'm sure, not all grade 2 MCLs are created equal, but, yeah. I mean, it yeah. definitely, definitely hurts like a son of a gun.
1: And that's that's a good point. Even if he comes back, he might not be at 100%. Like, Steph, right. you know, got hurt pretty early in the playoffs last year, and he showed those flashes at times, uh, especially, I think it was against Portland, right, where he, like, went nuclear that one game. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it was like... 80 to 90% of Steph for most of the playoffs. So like they could not like a fully healthy, fully maximized KD might not be coming back this year, which is just another reason to worry. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you guys in that. I think, you know, the worst, are still the favorite to come out of the West, but I think the margin for error is now a lot slimmer. Um, and I, you know, I, I've been, say Houston all year like I really I am super bullish on Houston's chances now like I really do think uh I mean just the way they worked the Clippers the other night was unreal you know that's supposed to be one of the favorites out west and Houston just buried up by 25 points for most of the night so I'm I will say this the the Western Conference playoffs just got a lot more interesting uh, unfortunately for Warriors fans.
2: But in regards to like OKC, as you mentioned earlier, when you look at the series last year, that was Golden State with actually in its current form because they didn't have Kevin Durant. He was on the other team, coincidentally. Right. And they still won. Yeah, Clay had to go nuclear, but still. I mean, so in that regard, OKC haven't gotten better at all. So I, I, would you be legitimately concerned with Golden State matching up against OKC, even if KD wasn't on the uh, on uh, in the la- in the lineup at, at that point,
1: I mean, well, I, I don't want to discredit Harrison Barnes here because he's he's been obviously playing very well for Dallas this year. Like I think there is a pretty noticeable downgrade from Harrison Barnes to Matt Barnes, um, right, right. and their <laughs> and their bench depth isn't what it was last year. So if Steph or Clay goes cold, they don't have uh, you know, like Maurice Spates was some microwave offense off the bench. Leandro Barbosa had a couple big games. Like they, they have again, it just comes back to margin of error. Like I think if 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 they if they started that series today and KD was still on the shelf, like I'm still picking the Warriors, mm-hmm. but I would be less surprised if OKC upset them. Because I, you know, obviously OKC is worse because they don't have Kevin Durant. But, like, I really think Taj and McBuckets are providing a new element to that Thunder team. And Alex Abrinas is playing well. Um, who else? Uh, Victor Oladipo. He's been on the shelf for a little bit with a back injury. But, yeah. you know, he was showing some flashes before he went down, like they're frisky <laughs> and there's always the revenge element because Russell Westbrook is going to be super pissed for seven games and you don't want to be on the bad side of Russ so yeah I, I don't know it, be, I'm kind of rooting for it to happen Sarah I want your spurs to sneak past the Warriors because I really do want a Warriors thud their first round series just for the blood feud
2: I, I want that series with a healthy KD though
1: yeah I, mean, that, it's, I think that would yeah. be a lot better I, yeah.
2: I want to see KD and Westbrook go toe to toe over seven games. That would just oh, like man. that would be
1: perfect. But that that would just ruin any chance of them ever <laughs> reconciling. <laughs> That's, I want them to be friends at some point. I don't want like five more years of awkward all star appearances with the two of them, like <laughs> seeing each other, barely acknowledging each other's presence. So, well, we'll see what happens with the Warriors. But uh, yeah, hopefully, they don't run into any more TNT Bulls this year. That's
0: for sure. <laughs> I hate On the that other hand,
3: oh well, you're going to love my crush segment today then, Morton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, there's always the chance that this little at least four weeks here without Katie, maybe Steph and Clay and the Warriors as a whole just kind of get that mojo back
1: mm-hmm. from
3: last year. But yeah. I don't know. Remains to be seen.
1: It's a good point. And it'll give. I mean, it gives the young guys a chance to better integrate. Like Pat McCaw can get more comfortable. He moved into the starting lineup against the TIT Bulls and played pretty well. Um, yeah, I think it's a question of like. I think Sarah, you said you know they. It's more strain on Steph, Clay, Dre, mm-hmm. etc. So, like KD, when he comes back, if he's fully healthy, he'll be super rested and like ready to go. But. It comes at the expense of his teammates, who now may need to play a couple more minutes each night. So, yeah, it'll be it's going to be very interesting to watch the Western Conference battle out over the next couple of weeks while Katie is out. Uh,
2: Don't sleep on Ian Clark, though.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean they, the Warriors have depth. I'm not I'm not counting them out at all. I, I still, if I had to pick today, I would pick the Warriors yeah. out of the West, but. A lot JaVale will depend. It's
2: been playing like great. Yeah, I, just give Javale more minutes.
1: Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, so you know, the West obviously got shaken up a little bit with that. The East is also undergoing some turmoil because Kyle Lowry, uh, strangely, was allowed to play in the All Star game and then comes back and undergoes surgery on his wrist on Tuesday. According to Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical, he will be out for the next four to five weeks, but he is expected to return before the start of the playoffs. So Mort, as our Eastern Conference representative here, how do you see this injury affecting the seating in the East?
2: I haven't actually looked at the seatings yet because... Well, I didn't recognize we were that far into the season, honestly. <laughs> and, and and also because I, I kind of think that it's a toss-up between Boston, Washington, and Toronto. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Corey Joseph is the guy who comes in and takes that starting spot mm-hmm. really eases the pain a little bit. Because Corey can run a team. He, I mean, Sarah knows everything about that. Right. Joseph is, is just a brilliant leader in every sense of the word. So... I, I think there will be a drop-off. I just don't think it would be as significant as people make it out to be. Um, obviously, they're going to lose a lot of three-point shooting because Kyle was one of the most explosive guys in that category. I think he nailed almost three and a half per game. And you can't really have DeRozan out there because he doesn't shoot it. And Corey is a very conservative. So they have an adjustment period that's going to take some time. If you if you put a gun to my head, I'm probably I'm probably going to put them at where they're at now. Fourth, mm-hmm. they're not going to pass Washington or Boston, but I do think somehow they're going to stay ahead of Atlanta, simply because I don't think Atlanta has that much potential to, for for any kind of growth,
1: really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Sarah, can you talk to us about Corey Joseph here and give us a, a preview of what to expect uh, for the next month out of him?
3: Kojo, his play was always characterized by a. Uh... It was just solid. Like that's the best way I can describe it. He wasn't like a big time scorer, although he really improved his jump shot while he was with the Spurs. So he can score. He can finish in the paint. But he's just—he's usually really solid with the ball. He doesn't turn it over. He defends really well. Um, he's gonna set some guys up. He knows where everybody's supposed to be. I'm just—I'm really proud of him. I, I still wish he was with us, but those days are gone. The only thing is, you know, obviously they're gonna miss him off the bench now. But yeah, I mean, he's gonna run the team fine. That's not a problem.
2: Yeah. Oh, to your to your point, Sarah. I just looked it up. He has 61 turnovers on the year, and that's in 1373 minutes.
3: He always was fantastic. Yeah. That is
2: that... that is exceptional. Like he is really one of those guys who just limits that those turnovers and just kind of plays the the game the right way, right? You mentioned at some point that that was what you guys were looking for. That was the defense. That was the ball handling. But he kept improving. Like he he became a slasher. He became a driver. He could hit the mid range pop. Like this year in Toronto, he's hitting almost thirty eight from free. Like he he's turning into a very well rounded player, and, and that's partially why I don't think Toronto is going to take a, a very drastic leap into bottomless. I I think they're going to stay relevant if, because it's it's not a significant downgrade in that sense is that being too positive about cory or
3: you know i'm never gonna say you're too positive about cory um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's more the question of you know just toronto as a whole that they've like the rest of the east basically been up and down frankly but yeah i don't think they're gonna bottom out either i mean you look at the loss is where they are right now i think atlanta's only one behind them but then there's a pretty big gap so i don't expect them to move down much at all
1: yeah i'm with you guys uh you know they, the other night they lost to washington but it took like 27 points from bogdanovich off the bench like that was uh you know they were right in it until that guy just explodes um i i don't think Obviously, Corey is not going to replace Kyle's production entirely. Like, there's a reason Kyle Lowry is an All-Star point guard, oh. and Corey Joseph is a backup. That said, Corey's done. He's fine. Like, he's he's a perfectly. If you're looking for a good backup, that Corey Joseph is there. Uh, it looks like Demar Derozan is just going to take over more of a scoring load. Uh, I think against Washington was his first game since the All-Star break where he shot under 50% from the field. So if he can. Keep up that kind of insane efficiency while still shooting 20 plus times a game, they're going to be fine. Uh, Serge Ibaka can pick up a little bit more of the load. Uh, I'm with you, Mort. I don't think, I don't even think they fall behind Atlanta either. I think they'll settle in at four. And here's the hot take that I'm kind of wondering. Uh, So, both, you know, Kyle's going to come back before the playoffs. In theory, Kevin Love and Jr. Smith are going to come back before the playoffs. Is, could this be a blessing in disguise, and that they will then draw Cleveland in the second round instead of the conference finals? Will they, where they'll get a Cleveland team that is working two big pieces back into the puzzle?
2: Well, Toronto is kind of working a big key or you know a big piece back into their puzzle as well in Ari, who is mm. essential for their playmaking. But I, I catch your drift here. I suppose you can kind of throw them off a little bit, but there is that number 23 guy <laughs> right. who's, who is kind of acting as their safety net. Yeah. So I've, I I don't think that you can really surprise Cleveland in, in anything these days. I mean, look, a 3-1 lead didn't rattle them. So.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. <I> mean... <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, well, I'm just excited because that also probably means we're gonna get a Boston-Washington, uh, Eastern Conference semifinals. And those teams—they—they they were meant to play a seven-game series in the playoffs, given their whole dress-down. It's a funeral <laughs> thing from earlier in the year. Like this is the playoff gods are giving us the matchups that we deserve. It just—they're—they're they're <laughs> inflicting some injuries upon some big-name players to get it to happen. Uh, any other thoughts on Toronto, Sarah, or should we move on to my heartbreak of the week?
3: <laughs> we can move on.
1: Okay, all right. Well, uh, after, I think, last week we recorded and Ben Simmons had just been declared out for the year. This week, Joel Embiid has been declared out for the year. Uh, the bone bruise that he suffered against uh, Portland is healing uh, appropriately, but the meniscus tear that they failed to disclosed until Derek Bodner reported it. That turned out to be worse than expected. So they've shut him down for the year. They're looking into the next options. It seems like some type of surgery is going to happen. I don't, frankly, want to talk about the long-term implications of the injury for what it means for the Sixers, because we could discuss that in the off-season and Lord knows we will. So instead, I want to focus on what Embiid's injury means for the Rookie of the Year race, because that's been the hot debate. Uh, since the news came out that he's been sidelined. So he will end the season having played 31 games. The, uh, the, the last guy, or the guy who played the fewest games and won Rookie of the Year before that was Patrick Ewing. He played 50 in 1985-86. Embiid averaged about 20 points, 8 rebounds, and 2.5 blocks in 25 minutes a game. So production-wise, he absolutely smoked everyone in the rookie class. But then it comes down to the question of: Does his production in limited minutes outweigh a guy who's been playing all 82? Yes. So, <laughs> okay, more. <laughs> so you're you're giving Embiid Rookie of the Year, regardless of yes. what happens.
2: Absolutely, wow. he's okay. the best rookie. The Rookie of the Year goes to the best rookie. He is as of this moment the best rookie. I know it's 31 games, and it's. <laughs> Very unfortunate, and had he played like twenty, I could have probably seen myself say something different. But thirty-one games isn't—it isn't the the kind of number where you don't have an idea of what he can bring. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't a fluke. He did this on a permanent basis. He went out and hit threes. He got to the line. I think he averaged almost eight free throw attempts per game in his twenty-five and a half minutes. So. He was also elite at getting to the line. He was a great rebounder, shot blocker, scorer. He was everything you want in a player. And given that the alternatives right now are kind of sucky, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Then that does just add fuel to the fire. If if look, I, I'm going back to like the 1999 2000 year where Steve Francis and Elton Brand share Rookie of the Year co mm So. Mm-hmm. Those two were like yin and yang all year long. They were right there. One of them had the lead one week. The other took over the next week. So if there had been a guy like that, then sure, the second guy would have gotten it and should have gotten it. But Embiid is so far, so far ahead of everyone else in almost every statistical category that it's just insane if he doesn't get it. That has to carry some sort of weight.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, that's kind of the argument in his favor in that, you know, barring an absolute eruption from someone in the final month and a half of the season, he's going to smoke everyone else in terms of per game impact. Uh, you know, that (laughs) the question is, does that in 31 games outweigh what someone's done in 82? So, you know, it seems like the two most popular choices outside of Embiid, will be his teammate, Dario Saric, and Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, You know, if I had to choose right now, I would say it's Embiid, because, you know, uh, like, Saric has played 60 games, Brogdon's played 59, so right now, that gap in per-game production outweighs the gap in how many games they've played. That Mm. said, both Brogdon and Saric have been playing really well lately, Like, I'm going to read, since in Saric's last 14 games, he's averaging 16.5 points, 7.6 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, almost 1.5 threes, and a steal in 30 minutes. And the Ursan Ilyasova trade created the opportunity for him to move into the starting lineup. You know, he had 21-7-7 the other night against the Warriors. He had 19-15-5 against the Knicks. So if he finishes the season on that kind of a tear... I could see him kind of swooping in and taking it from Embiid. Same thing with Brogdon. He moved back into the starting lineup Wednesday. You know, Jason Kidd's rotations are impossible to predict, so who knows how long he's going to keep that job. But, you know, if he goes on a similar tear, I absolutely could see him stealing it. Sarah, what what do you think? Who would you lean toward in this race?
3: Kind of what you just said is how I feel. What it does for me is it opens it up to where I wouldn't feel like I could call it right now. If we were calling it right now, I would say, like you said, Embiid has the edge, but it kind of opens the door for one of those guys to, if they have a great run to finish the season, potentially get in there and steal it. Um, it's it's kind of like, what's the criteria? Is, is it the best rookie or the rookie with the biggest impact? And as Morton alluded to legitimately beat has an argument for both um even even in his limited games so he definitely still has the edge but I I think the door is slightly cracked open
1: yeah yeah I mean it, it sure seems like we can't make a definitive claim on who's gonna win this award until uh, you know the end of the season because we need to see how these last 20 games play out um I do think, you know, I saw someone saying Jamal Murray should win uh, something like Denver blog. And I, I think at this point it's really a three-man race between between Embiid, uh, Saric, and Brogdon. I don't think, you know, a hot 20 games from anyone at the end of the season will outweigh what Embiid did in 31. But yep. because Brogdon and Saric, you know, they they played at least sparingly <laughs> throughout the first couple months, and you know, in Brogdon's case, he actually played a lot uh, because they were rotation members all year and are now playing at the level of high-level starters. They're going to have advantage over anyone else in the rookie class, like Willie Hernan Gomez included. So we'll see what happens, but Philly fans know that I'm hurting with you. Uh, <laughs> it was a rough couple days for all of us. Uh, so let's talk about some of the recent signings now because the – March 1st waiver deadline just passed, which means everyone, anyone that wanted to sign with the team and be eligible for the playoffs needed to be waived by March 1st. So, basically, a bunch of contenders loaded up on the buyout market. Uh, Darren Williams and Andrew Bogut went to Cleveland. Matt Barnes went to Golden State to replace Kevin Durant. They were originally planning on signing Jose Calderon. They actually did sign him and then waive him right away to sign Barnes after the KD injury. Uh, Calderon then went to Atlanta, I believe it's official. Uh, Brandon Jennings went to Washington. Terrence Jones to Milwaukee. And Norris Cole to OKC. Uh, So, Mort, do you think any of the signings on either conference are going to move the needle come playoff time?
2: Well, I think Cleveland more or less just... Nailed this, but I actually have a pretty big concern about all this. So Kevin Faraghan on Twitter four or five days ago, he wrote a tweet that I agree with a ton. He said, buyout system is really broken. Raps mm-hmm. had to give up real assets to improve weaknesses. Cavs just get solid big and secondary playmaker for SIPO. Mm-hmm. So I want to turn it around for a bit and ask, is the buyout system broken? Interesting. Because... I mean, look—they just got Darren Williams mm-hmm. and Andrew Bogut. Those are not like fringe roster players at all. Like Darren was starting as soon as this year. Oh, both were starting in Dallas, actually. Right. Uh, I Bogut went to the bench at some point, but like those are two major assets to get for absolutely nothing. Whereas the lower level teams like Toronto had to give up a lot to get Ibaka and whatnot. Like it seems that there is an element of the rich getting richer mm-hmm. and not like legitimately so. One thing is signing a big free agent like the dubs did with with KD. But like here they get the, the cavs, they get Darren Williams and Andrew Bogut on minimal minimum deals for the rest of the season even though they're obviously a lot worth a lot more than that. Like where do you guys stand on that? Because it does seem to to bring out some imperfection into the competitive balance
1: yeah sarah i'm going to throw that to you because it affects your team more than ours <laughs>
3: <laughs> i mean it it does uh zach Lowe actually in his 10 things i like and don't like um finished it up he actually had an 11th thing mm-hmm. this morning and and it was talking about the buyout oh, system oh, um yeah.
0: sorry zach <laughs> if yeah, it's all good, yeah
3: uh yeah it, it kind of goes back and forth i mean he also made the point that it It rarely does end up moving the needle. Um, Speaking as a Spurs fan, we've brought on people in past years, and usually when we do it, it's not a year that we end up doing anything. So, I mean, that's also, I guess, just a Spurs problem. (laughs) 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 Cleveland is is already a contender this year. So, yeah, I mean, it is – I definitely think, like, to your point, Morton, who they picked up has the biggest potential to make a difference uh, in the playoffs. I also think for – the more important thing in my opinion is is Darren Williams what he can do right now mm-hmm. for LeBron because if he can just take a few of those responsibilities and those minutes off of LeBron right now who's been playing too many minutes was before love even went down you know that's more yeah. important I think even than what he could do in the playoffs is just save LeBron's legs a little bit you know, we talked about the extra grind uh, for the Golden State guys. <laughs> LeBron is in the same boat, actually worse, because he's been in the finals pretty much his entire life, it feels like. <laughs> so, yeah, but but back to the buyout system, I don't know. I mean, uh, Zach's article had a few suggestions of what they could do, uh, even going to kind of giving those, those contending teams last crack, mm-hmm. <laughs> let everybody else have that uh, opportunity first. But is it a real problem is what it comes back to. Um, and this year it feels more like it is than usual, but I don't know if that's enough to change the entire system. But what do you think, Brian?
1: Yeah, I don't have as much of a problem with it. So to Farraghan's point, like, I get what he's saying, but Serge Ibaka is a better player than Darren Williams and Andrew Bogut. So, like, in terms of needle-moving trades or deals or signings or additions that just happened, like... Serge Ibaka, <laughs> I mean, probably out impacts the entire buyout market, which is why they had to give up more. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Sarah, I think you're right in that. You know, of the buyouts, Cleveland got the best out of the. You know, I think Brandon Jennings is going to be a really good fit in Washington because that bench just sucked so much, and the less you have to rely on Trey Burke, the better. Um, but I don't think. I don't think the bio market's a problem because at that point, like guys can sign wherever they want for however little they want in free agency. Like, you know, Zaza Pachulia, when he went to the Warriors on the biannual exception, it's the same thing. People were like, well, he could have gotten a lot more money elsewhere. And it's like, yeah, he could have, but he wanted to play for a title. That's fine. It's free agency. You know, if you're, if you're waived and no one claims you, you are a free agent. Uh, So it's, like, but it, he
2: sacrificed, though. He sacrificed money. Those two didn't. They're still getting paid. There's a major difference therein.
1: But, that, like, Houston... So Houston traded KJ McDaniels at the trade deadline to Brooklyn to free up $3-plus plus million in cap space. And Houston was reportedly after Bogut. So, like, in theory, Bogut turned down more money in Houston to go to Cleveland. Not considerably more, but, like, you know... Houston ha- made a move at the trade deadline traded a player who could be productive who they haven't used at all but like <laughs> a player who was once productive in Philly just to free up cap space for the buyout market and it did not work for them so I you know right, I, right. I don't necessarily think I don't think the the free agent like i you know if if a guy. Has like the, the thing that Zach came up with. One of the suggestions he floated in his column was like a buyout market where, like, every guy who gets bought out, if he doesn't get claimed on waivers, then teams put in bids based on how much cap space they have. So, I don't think a guy should have to be subject to, to such markets before becoming a free agent. Like, I don't think a guy should have to go where the money is if he wants to play for a contender like that that just sucks that doesn't seem fair to the player like let them choose if they want to choose the money they can that's great but if they want to choose a place where they think they have a realistic shot at a ring that's fine too because frankly Andrew Bogut being on Cleveland makes that Warriors Cavs finals a lot more fun because now we've got (laughs) you know we had Vergeau With the Warriors last year, now we've got the inverse. And Andrew Bogut, you know he's just going to be a heat-seeking missile with screens trying to, like, level Stephen Curry. (laughs) Well,
2: I don't disagree with that, but here's the thing, though. When you say that they are sacrificing money and it doesn't have to come down to money and whatnot, I mean, look, I know that Bogut, well, sacrificed a little bit because of his Houston deal, but the fact remains that the vast majority of these guys are getting paid and when they're then waived at the middle of the season then they're sitting there going well I'm getting paid anyway I might as well join a contender so it does seem to you know at least on some level there should be a system in place that might might be similar to the D league where a couple of teams get first dips at some kind and and if they then decline that option then the player can like move down the ranks just to make it more competitive, maybe not disclude. Yeah, lottery. It seems. Oh man, this is difficult because I can see it just. It just opens up the door to so many ugly questions as well. Now I, I get that the system would, wouldn't be perfected in that sense. I would just like to see it fine-tuned a little bit, because like it would be way more interesting, at least to me, if it seemed like Washington. Had gotten Darren Williams, for example, that would have made them significantly better. Yeah, I think that would have thrown up, thrown them up a notch and really, you know, put them into that Boston category, for example. And that would have just made that second tier level team way more exciting, like seeing where they end up.
1: Yeah, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Zach, another one of the suggestions he floated, was like limiting the number of buyout players you could have. So basically, like. Cleveland would have had to choose between Darren Williams and Bogut. So that, that seems like a more minor tweak that could be done.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that would have been fair. I mean, how, how often has that been a problem, though, again? Right. Where, you know, a <laughs> team has picked up two such guys. Well, Boston, Boston back in the
2: day of – oh, who did they pick up? Was it Sam Cassell and P.J. Brown or something? But it was just they were – I don't remember who exactly – but they picked up some, some guys who were vital in their title run in in, in uh, 08 because they got okay. substantial playoff minutes. So, so it's not to the same extent, obviously. This year is kind of extreme because you have a former all-star and a former champ and a guy who was like a defensive player of the year candidate and whatnot. But it's it's an interesting idea to put up because nowadays, I mean, we have to like recognize the larger point that is – super teams are here to stay so teams are going to get richer and richer and richer in that sense so maybe it at some point reaches a pinnacle where you are looking at three or four teams that are so far ahead of everyone else because they not only get the big free agents they also get the best guys in the buyout buyout market every year yada 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 down the list like at some point you would just have to ask yourselves is that OK? Is that something that is going to further the NBA or is it something that's going to stall it a little bit? I don't. And here's the thing. I'm just playing devil's advocate because I don't really know where I land on this myself, because there, Brian raised a point that I really agree with, and that is it's going to be so much fun seeing Bogut in the finals. If, if we assume it's a it's, it's the third matchup between the Cavs and, and, and the Dubs. Obviously, I want to see that as well. I think every f- fan would. But you just have to <laughs> face the fact that there is a hell of a lot more teams in the league. And we have to sort of, yeah, figure out the way to put the best product on the floor at all times, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, it seems like this year especially you know a guy like darren williams doesn't often get moved maybe correct me if i'm wrong in that but like someone of that caliber like a multiple all-star caliber i know he's not that same player anymore but it feels like this might be you know trying to create a whole buyout market just because of darren williams uh or like trying to make some major changes just because darren williams got waived like if anything be pissed the mavericks for like Basically admitting they're tanking, and you know we're, we're going to wave a bunch of veteran players uh, to give these young guys a chance, but we're not tanking. Whatever. So
3: that's that's a point that was made in in Lowe's article as well. These these teams, if they're going to be rewarded with good draft picks for not doing well, why would they want to pay these guys and hang on to them? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a fair point. Definitely yeah. fair point.
1: Yeah. So. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the bio market, but yeah, keep an eye on, uh, especially on Cleveland, because LeBron got his playmaker. It only took him a month, but again, David Griffin turns nothing into something. So let's now switch to our Where Amazing Happens segment, where we need to talk about the New York Knicks. And for once, it won't be about Carmelo Anthony and Phil Jackson. Well, it'll still be about Phil Jackson, because according to Stephen Bondi of the New York Daily News, the Knicks are... Using the remaining months of the season to evaluate who fits the triangle, which has been re-emphasized as more of a traditional triangle since the All-Star break. So I'm going to read a couple quotes from some major Knicks players and coaches, and then I want to get your your thoughts on this one. Uh, so Jeff Hornacek, the coach, says uh, from this Bondi article, he said, As times go on, you say, can they get it? Are they getting better at it? If they're not, you go, okay. End of the year comes and we're having our discussions and you say, can this guy play this offense? We'll say either yay or nay or he's getting it, he's getting better. So I'm sure that's part of evaluations this summer. Kristaps Porzingis, via Al Iannazone of Newsday, said, quote, I like the triangle. My first season, the whole first season, we played nothing but the triangle, so I know it pretty well. I like the offense. It can only work if everybody believes in it and everybody executes it the right way. Which is just some... Excellent subtweeting from Kristaps. And then Derek Rose told reporters Thursday, quote, I still don't have the feeling yet of the entire offense, but I pick and choose while I'm out there. You think, don't F up the game. That's a great way to put it. Just don't mess up the game and looking at a lot of film, you learn. That's what great players do. I believe that I'm great. Great players find a way to win, or find a way no matter what situation they're put in. So, uh, Mort, because the Knicks have now supplanted your Bulls as in the tire fire rankings of the season, I would say this this is officially, the Bulls are now third at best. Uh, what do you think about the Knicks going back to the triangle?
2: I believe they are going to have to play two players next year if that's <laughs> if their criteria is to identify players on the current roster who fits the triangle because it's more or less just Courtney Lee and Christophs Porzingis, right? Like, who else is there who can fit fit it? Like, maybe Hernan Gomez? Yeah. Because you need a post option?
1: Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah.
2: Yeah? Like, may, maybe Kylo Quinn, if he regains his touch, he's only shooting like 10% from free. Right. If he, if he gets that up a little bit, because we know he can stroke it, then maybe. But... Mm. Yeah, I'm not really sure why they're trying to goal '90s on the league, <laughs> but then again, the Bulls went '80s. So that's true. Yeah,
1: yeah it, it is just it's spectacular. Uh, Sarah, do you have any thoughts on Phil trying to make the triangle happen again?
3: Yeah, my personal favorite quotes about the whole thing came from Larry Brown. Oh, if you guys, oh really yeah, heard yep, what he yep. had <laughs> to say. Yeah, he was on Sirius XM NBA Radio. And he said, I can't figure out how you can hire a coach and tell him how you want him to play. I can't figure out how you can draft players for a coach that you know coaches a certain style and has been successful doing that style and get him to play a style that you feel comfortable with. Then you coach. You're talking about one of the greatest coaches in the history of our sport. Let him coach. If he wants to do the triangle, put it in, let him coach it, and then teach everybody around and get the players that are comfortable playing it. So, that's Larry talking about Phil, obviously. Um, I tend to agree with that. I mean, you know, you can't bring in a guy. Do you trust him to run the team or not? You can't bring in a coach and tell him how to run the team. I don't think the triangle should be a bad word, but the big problem, I mean, a lot of teams run elements of it. The problem with what the Knicks are doing is this sort of rigidity and this, you know, they're not flexible. So... I don't think that's a, a recipe for success today. I mean, offenses are getting more and more sophisticated, especially with the teams that are contenders. So I don't think you can say we're, we're going to run traditional triangle and, and have an overemphasis on that and be one of the top teams.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. Coincidentally, uh, back in the Isaiah Thomas era, this was actually um uh, what happened he started out as a general manager things got weird and then they sort of pushed him onto the court doing the same with phil which is t- <laughs> kind of throw nicks fans back into that era again i think so there is like a perception issue that we can add into this whole thing but yeah i don't usually agree with larry brown on a lot of things but this <laughs> one, yeah yep, yeah, larry nailed it uh Look, can we just agree that Phil took that those sixty million and decided I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do, and I don't I don't care whatever happens. I don't care about the Knicks. I don't care about anything. I'm just gonna get the money, and if everything is effed up while I'm here, so be it. <laughs> I mean, can we just like recognize or realize or just accept the fact that that's what happened?
1: Yeah, he's definitely in the yeah. cash them checks club with the Knicks. <laughs>
2: exactly i i don't think he cares one bit like him going over the the triangle and trying to implement and whatnot that's just because that's all he knows right like he's just trying to make some sort of like you know the the, the least amount of effort you can put into anything like he goes to the media. he's like no oh, i just want i want to do this i want to do that and it seems like you know he's working hard on doing things and he's not i just, I think that guy is just, like, mentally he's retired and has been for three years. <laughs> yeah. Like, so. Yeah. It's just, it's, what a what a show in New York, man. To... We need to get, like, a Knicks fan on. Like, uh, not yeah. a Knicks <laughs> reporter. We need to get, like, a hardcore Knicks fan on who can really talk to us about how it is to, to live with that sort of franchise. Like, going from Isaiah... And and all the way up to Phil now and just how the mismanagement of the Knicks, which has been like, what, two decades almost? Mm-hmm. I mean, oof.
1: Yeah, I forget which podcast I was listening to. I want to say it was the vertical, like one of their ones around the trade deadline. Um, mm. I think it was from Chris Mannix, but I could be wrong. Uh, But he was basically saying like, yeah, Phil Jackson just isn't putting in the work at all that's necessary for a team president. Like, he's not going out and scouting. He, You know, he hit Kristaps, and he's made a couple of, like, good uh, under-the-radar signings, like the Kylo Quinn and getting Willie Hernan Gomez and... Um, who else? Oh, uh, Kazminkus, or however you say his name. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But then, then his big moves, the Noah signing, the Derrick Rose trade. You know, Courtney Lee... That would have been a good signing independently, but when mixed with like the Noah signing is going to sink that franchise for the next four years because yeah. Hernan Gomez is already better than him, and you cannot. You, there is no argument to put Noah back into the starting lineup next year once he's back from his knee surgery, unless he like goes to Germany and gets some um, you know we Kobe Bryant treatment and comes back ten years younger, but. Like Hernan Gomez is already a better player, so uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting off season for the Knicks and Knicks fans. So prayers up for everyone involved with that franchise. Um, what the last thing we need to talk about this week before we get into our crushes is the NBA on Thursday announced this big new officiating initiative. Uh, it will be expanding its officiating force by twenty five percent over the next three years. It's also launching an officiating advisory council, which I'm going to read a quote from Om Yongmisuk to describe this because I had no idea. It's, quote, a think tank type group focused on generating ideas and how the rules are enforced and finding better ways to do it. As part of that, they will start using virtual reality to train refs moving forward. So, Sarah, what do you think about this this new push from the NBA uh, to expand the refs and kind of think about new ways to train them?
3: I like it in theory. I like the idea, Um, especially considering, you know, the last two-minute report has been around for a while. People are are getting a little tired of it because it obviously doesn't change anything. But also, you know, the NBA, in an effort to be transparent, they made the admission of of mistakes uh, public, but they haven't made sort of how they're taking that and trying to use that to improve as public. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a good look for the league. Um, I've just noticed lately, like, it seems like we're in a bit of a transition period. A lot of the, uh, the older guard referees that, you know, we grew up seeing all the time have, have moved on, (laughs) have retired. Uh, there are some younger faces. I think there's at least five referees this year who are in their first or second year. Um, I did a rough count and I think we only have 19 with 20 or more seasons at the moment out of about 63, 64. So uh, they're getting younger, and that's that's a little bit of a fear for me uh, in expanding the force, is that you're going to have those younger, more inexperienced people coming in. But we've got to get them trained up and ready to go at some point. I think having having an extra set of eyes is a really good thing. I think uh, something I've noticed lately is for the younger referees or the less experienced referees I think one of the hardest things to get especially if you're not as familiar with just having played basketball is that you know there's contact in the game that that isn't always a foul mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't always <laughs> constitute a foul mm-hmm. um and the, just the the concept of space and a player being entitled to their space um I'd love to see them put more emphasis on training that mm-hmm. Rather than whatever silly thing is the, is the flavor right. of every year, you know, that they end up forgetting and not worrying about anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about the, you know, like Steve Javi and Joey Crawford it just reminded me that uh, Wednesday night in San Antonio, I actually heard somebody yell, Bring back Joey Crawford. What? So, in San Antonio,
2: last In San Antonio. So, oh, San Antonio. Wow. so
3: the, wow. the end of days is well and truly upon us. Yeah. <laughs> So, but yeah, I mean, it is, it feels like the guys are getting younger and, uh, we, we just, I guess we somewhat took some of these older guys for granted a little bit, yeah. but, um, yeah, I'm happy to see them making this effort.
1: Yeah. We're, we're... I,
2: I still have that image of, of the Spurs at their Halloween party uh, oh, yeah. with the Crawford. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That's, that's surprising. I, didn't I was think, amazed but, to hear yeah. that.
3: Yeah
1: wow yeah that's pretty good uh what do you think about all this stuff and sarah to your point just uh i think one of the things they said was they're gonna like try to cut back on travel for the refs and keep the some of the crews together more frequently Mm -hmm. so they can like develop more of a rapport so with that said more what are your thoughts on the refs?
2: yeah you just you you just stole my point sorry horrible horrible host you are (laughs) yeah um no, that's that was actually what I, what I was going to talk about because the fact that you can have these teams go in and and ref the, the you know a couple of games together that's at least in my perspective that's actually going to speed up the youngsters development because mm-hmm. then they're going to get more secure, okay, this guy who's a veteran who's been in the league 10, 11 years refing. I can look to him for the next three or four games mm-hmm. and I know like where, where his mind is at. I'm going to look at what he's looking at. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I have to understand how does he see this call? Mm-hmm. And so it's not like the youngster goes from one veteran ref to another on a nightly basis. He's going to get some continuity, which I think is just fantastic for the league. And Sarah, to your point, like the league has never been more transparent and I love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, when we talk about NBA teams that lack uh, transparency, this is kind of what we are all talking about. Like, people are always saying, like, oh, well, do you want NBA teams to, like, just hand out their 10-year plan? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying that if you're trying to improve on something, then you can at least talk about it openly without, like, letting all the secrets out of the bag. And this is what the NBA does. They're, they're kind of like, look, we're trying to improve the game. Some of the things that we're trying to do stays in-house for now, but just, like, we'll let you know some of the things that we are working on so you get an idea of what the conversation is like inside our offices. And the way they handle just everything, even when there are situations out there that probably shouldn't be there, They are, they have just gotten so good under Adam Silver. At communicating to the fan base, that was that really was a David Stern's Achilles heel. And then you have Silver who come coming in who just pulled a one eighty on that. You know that mentality. I'm so digging the way the NBA is doing things these days. Uh, it, I, I have to put them at the top of like every global sport in terms of their communication, their professionalism. I mean. This is the best league in the world, yeah. and that's including all sports. It's it's remarkable,
1: and it's worth noting. Morten is from Denmark, so he's he he has more experience with the rest of the world's sports than we do.
2: I do, and here's the thing: like people, some people will say, "Oh, well, FIFA is the largest. Yeah, it's also corrupt as hell." Right? Yeah, right. Like, I,
1: it's I don't. It think... is
2: so corrupt. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and then I mean, look look at it with the NFL. I mean, just, I'll just say Roger Goodell and huh. we'll know, yep. you know, and, and I, I guess hockey has gotten better, but there's like so many work stoppages and it, the players aren't really, uh, getting the, the, the amount of money they should be getting. Baseball is just, well, who cares about baseball? Anyway? <laughs> I'm not 60. <laughs> right. Right.
1: You will in 30 years. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm with you guys. I, I, I don't see any downside to this initiative, and I, I'm, kudos to the NBA for announcing it and giving everyone a heads up, uh, I think. You know, they, they really seem to be on the front edge of, like, testing out innovative techniques. You know, Tom Haberstroh of ESPN has been great about writing about, you know, all the wearables that guys have been wearing, and how, like, players have been using virtual reality, um... Mm-hmm to improve their free throw shooting. <laughs> it didn't work for Andre Drummond this year yet, but like, you know, you, you just hear these stories about how the NBA is really trying to embrace technology uh, as quickly as they can. So I'm glad that that spilled over to the officiating and I look forward to seeing how that improves the quality moving forward. Cause you know, the, I think the good thing is that they phrased it like, we're not doing this because the refs suck. Like, they're already great. We're just going to make them better. So it's not going to come off as like, you know, (laughs) like the replacement refs from the NFL a couple years ago where that was just an absolute debacle. Like, the the NBA likes their refs right now. It's just like, all right, we're going to take you guys one step higher, which is only going to help the league in the long run. So let us wrap up this week with our crushes. Uh, Again, these are just players who are – under the radar, and deserve a little more love than they're getting. So, Sarah, who is your crush of the week?
3: I picked the TNT Bulls. Yes! That is some kind of magic. (laughs) I mean, seriously, 19 straight home wins on TNT, 18 on Thursdays. I mean, last night, somehow, the TNT Magic had them shoot a better percentage from the floor than the Warriors, 44 to 38. And also from three, somehow, they only made one fewer three in, like, 11 fewer shots. So that's that's pretty darn impressive. You got Zipser hitting the yeah. late three clutch right before the shot clock. Yep. Uh, Felicio assisted on it. Freaking Bobby Portis shot better from three than Steph or <laughs> So that was amazing. But I also wanted to shout out Nurkic. Very happy yes. for him. He was great last night. 18 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists, 5 blocks, 2 steals, 7-10 from the floor, 38 minutes. He had like 3 huge rebounds coming down the last 4 minutes of that game. Helped help the Blazers pull out a pretty big win. And also David Lee, who I know I've picked before. <laughs> but uh, Wednesday night he was 8 of 8, season high 18 points in 20 minutes. I just really am
2: enjoying David Lee on the Spurs. That's what having a Danish girlfriend does to you.
1: Oh, there we go. Is that
3: what it is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Here's how you know the TNT Bulls are real, because Taj Gibson, who doesn't even play for the Bulls, but used to play for them, goes to OKC and hits like a 70-foot shot right before (laughs) halftime because he's on TNT. I guess that was a road game, though, so that, maybe the TNT magic is just spreading at this point, but... Yeah, TNT Bulls are it's S- something. Seriously,
2: I was I was ready to put money on it, and I don't bet on games out of principle <laughs> because I feel that compromises everything. I was like, I I I need to do this, and I caught myself in the final moments going, nope, I'm not gonna. <laughs> now I should have.
1: Yeah, my my wife and I were coming home from dinner as the game started, and I was like, I will bet you anything that the Bulls are going to win this game. She's like, no way. And we were out with that Cleveland game last week. We were out with some friends as well. I'm like, this is a game the Bulls are absolutely going to win. This is just so token Bulls. I forget someone tweeted it last night. They have like, I think they have a winning record against teams that are above 500 and a losing record against teams that are below 500. Which is just that
2: sounds very accurate and sounds like the Bulls of the last three (laughs) years. Right,
1: it just epitomized. The the reason both so good good picks all Sarah I'm glad the gets shout out especially because yeah he's been yeah he has been a monster and he got like two teeth knocked out last week and he's still playing <laughs> like a bear so kudos to all involved uh, Mort who are your picks for your crush of the week
2: so this guy has averaged it um 28.9 points six rebounds 3.4 assists and two steals. In only 32.8 minutes, so almost a point a minute over the, his last eight. His team is 7 and 8, or so. sorry, 7 and 1 in that uh, stretch, having lost only one road game, and seven of those eight games were on the road. His name is, his name is Kawhi Leonard. <laughs>
1: that, and, what?
2: <laughs> that. Yeah. Oh. I'll I'm, allow I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pimp my guy because oh my I, 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 I know, you know, you can't look. You, you're sitting there telling me that I have to wait a couple weeks to start <laughs> the MVP debate again, Brian. How dare you? Look, I mean, just, just think about this for a minute. Seven of eight games on the road, they win seven of, six of those seven. And he is scoring virtually a point a minute. He's rebounding. He's defending. He's playmaking. He's getting to the line. He's hitting a high percentage. Look, MVP Kawhi already. Come on now. Say it with me. Kawhi Leonard is the MVP. Come on, Brian. <laughs> I'm not going join there. The, join, join, the, Join the bright side here. Uh,
1: I will say this. I'm worried about James Harden's case because... Well, I'm just worried about, like all of the Rockets, because Lou Williams is playing so well, that like Eric Gordon, I think, is in real trouble for six-man of the year, but he's also reducing the amount that Harden needs to do. So now I'm starting, like, I don't know, we're three-fourths of the way through the season, and Russell Westbrook's still averaging a triple-double. It's going to be harder and harder to deny that if he actually gets across the finish line with 30 10 It's just a
2: stat, though. It's just a stat. Look, I get it. The triple-double is impressive and all. I get it. But I mean, still, it's just it's it's become this mythical thing, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I, old, yeah. I mean, it's historic. It's happened one time in it NBA is. history. So, yeah, well, well but like you
2: could argue he's already better than his stat line last year was already better than what Oscar Robertson was
1: because of, if you adjusted yeah, for right, pace. Right, right, right.
2: Yeah. So I mean, but no, I get it. And by the way, we need to be a little bit on on alert because. Russell's assist numbers have gone down a little bit. Yeah. They are at 10.1. Uh-uh. So, yeah. and re- So, I'm just going to pimp what I said a little bit. Because remember when I said he might not have enough assists at, at the end of the year? Yeah. Because he only has himself. Well, his scoring has gone up. So, now he's actually not balancing that line a whole lot anymore. Now he's scoring.
1: You sound like Charles Barkley from last night who was saying, I don't even, I'm i not going to repeat his comments because they were nonsense. Uh <laughs> we we will definitely don't get fired yeah, no. We will definitely recommence this MVP fight at a later date. Uh and,
2: and I mean don't get fired from this show because <laughs> don't you dare calling me Charles <laughs> Fair. Uh
1: all right. So I'm going to give a couple shout outs for my crush of the week as well. The first goes to Julia Okafor who played honestly the worst 12 seconds of defense you will ever see. I'm <laughs> sure you've seen it on Twitter, but if not just go look Jaleel Okafor, Miami Heat. I'm sure you'll find 100 stories. It's like... It's glorious. It, it's like the dude, we dangled him at the trade deadline, and he was just like, nope, I'm checking out. I'm going on summer vacation two months early. So kudos, Jaleel, for ruining what little trade value you already had. Uh, that was just... Oh, God. oh I didn't watch that game live, so I came home to that clip and was just mortified. Uh, My real real crush of the week, uh, I would like to give a brief shout-out to Rashawn Holmes, who is outplaying Jalil Okafor considerably. Aside from that, my boy Willie Hernan Gomez, who, may I note, was a former Sixers draft pick, who we then traded to the Knicks for two second-round picks, which is now looking a lot worse. Because, as I mentioned earlier in the show, he's outplaying Joakim Noah. Uh, Over his last 11 games, he's averaging... About 11 points, 10 rebounds a block, 2 assists in just 26 minutes. Uh, While Noah was healthy, Hornacek had this weird habit of, like, (laughs) he would play Hernan Gomez big minutes one night, and then play of like, 3 minutes the next night. I think that uh, the game against Atlanta on Martin Luther King Day was, that was it, right, where he, like, didn't play at all, and it was a quadruple overtime game or something like that. Um, so it's good to see him now in the rotation and <laughs> Hornichuk has no, uh, no way around it. I, you know, the guy looks like he looks like the real deal. So the Knicks really might have their front court of the future in Porzingis and Hernan Gomez. And then they just need to figure out what they're going to do with three more years of Joakim Noah.
2: And they were teammates in Spain.
1: Right? Exactly. Yeah. So kudos to Hernan Gomez for taking this opportunity and running with it because he's doing a really good job and that will do it this week for the NBA podcast. So thank you for joining us. Uh, again, a reminder, you can find us on Twitter at the NBA pod. Uh, three of our Twitter handles are in the bio to so give us a follow as well. You can find us on iTunes. So be sure to check us out there, subscribe, download, leave us some reviews. We would love any feedback. And we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports. So check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and for their NBA content at FanRagNBA. Until next time, I was Brian Teporek and I was joined by Morton and Sarah Chalea. Have a good one, you two. Always good talking to you. West Brian.
3: <laughs> take care, you guys.
0: All right, take care, guys.